brought some Legos today. Um, they're just so much fun. And I got quite a few here. And one of the things we could do, and if you have your Legos in your house or did have, you've probably done this, is everybody grab some Legos and we're all going to sort of compete and let's see who can make the best car or the best plane or whatever you can make and do a little comparison over each one's project. And that would be fun. And somebody would obviously build a better car or a better plane or a better house or whatever and be creative with the Legos. But there would be another way to do it, and, and that would be okay. We'd have a hundred little projects built. There's, of course, another way you can do Legos, and that is follow some kind of plan. And if you do that, that box of what looks like chaos, that box that is capable of making a lot of little bitty projects, can suddenly come together and say, wow, that's incredible. That huge project that could be built from all of that chaos of those little Legos that could have built a lot of little projects, but look what it could do together. I say all that because that's exactly what was happening in the church in Corinth. And rather than working together and building one big project that God had designed through the Holy Spirit, they were each taking their Legos and they were each doing their own thing. And the outcome for the church was bad. Those are Paul's words, not mine. And so we want to talk about that today. We started last week really a two-part sermon series looking at worship in the church in Corinth. Because there are four chapters, 11, 12, 13, and 14, that are really all about the problems in Corinth in their worship services. Last week we read, we read 11, 17, where Paul says in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings, your worship services do more harm than good. That is a painful indictment upon a church. That when you come together for worship, it hurts the church more than it helps the church. And of course, Paul went on to list in 11, 12, 13, and 14 what was wrong in the Corinthian church, in their worship services, what the problems were. He talks about how the women who were standing up to pray and prophesy were dressed inappropriately. He talks about how the Lord's Supper had become something that was very unloving and very divisive instead of a celebration of God's love. He talked about how different spiritual gifts were being used in a competitive, comparing kind of way about pride. And he talked about how the prophets and the tongue speakers were out of control and causing chaos in the service. And lastly, he talked about how the wives were disrupting the services by yelling questions to their husbands. Well, last week, and it's available on the website, you can go back and listen because we looked at half of those problems. And I said last week we would wait till this week to sort of put together the other issues, the other concerns, and those that we've waited on till this week were all around the Holy Spirit and the use of the spiritual gifts in the church in Corinth. 
and to make sure that we're all on the same page as we go through this, because I know there's a lot of different backgrounds here in the room, uh, church-wise, church tradition-wise, and one of the things that that creates is a lot of different views or knowledge about the Holy Spirit. So, I want to stop for just a second and review what is the Holy Spirit. What are we talking about? The Holy Spirit is God. There are three ways that we relate to God. There are three persons that God comes to us as. Father, our Heavenly Father, God the Father, but also Jesus the Son, the Son of God. Jesus who came to earth but the third way that God comes to us is through His Spirit, often called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, this third part of the Trinity. And we are promised that when we become Christians, and this is something that was never offered in the Old Testament, reserved for the New Testament, what God calls His new kingdom, that when we become Christians, when we accept Christ as our Lord, when we make God our God, when we commit to follow Jesus, God comes and takes up residence in us as the Spirit of God. That Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. Part of God Himself is in us. One of the clearest statements of this is in Acts 2.38. It's on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was crucified, and the Holy Spirit comes on the apostles, and amazing things start to happen. Miracles start to happen. Fire is seen, something like fire is seen to sit on their heads. And they're suddenly able to speak in all kinds of languages so that this diverse crowd in Jerusalem, from all over the Mediterranean, each is hearing somebody speaking in their own language. And Peter stands up, and the first thing he says is, I have bad news for you people. And that is Jesus, God has sent his Messiah that you've been waiting on hundreds of years. He has sent that Messiah, and that Messiah was named Jesus of Nazareth. And you killed him. Fifty days ago, you crucified him. And of course, they are convicted at that point and cry out, Peter, what do we do? What do we do to be saved? Because God is going to wipe us off the earth. We've killed the Messiah. And of course he says, what do you do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized in the name of the one you killed so you can be forgiven for killing him. That is God's offer in Christ. But then Peter says a second thing. If you do that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This very Spirit, you're seeing do amazing things through us, you can have Him too. And that was what God said. He prophesied in the prophet Joel. Peter quoted it in this sermon on Pentecost. The mark of the new kingdom as compared to the Old Testament is that every believer gets God's Spirit in them permanently for their life. That's who this Holy Spirit is. And it, this Spirit is given to us because we need Him. He's given to us for our benefit. 
for our advantage. I think one of the verses that had one of the biggest impacts on my life is in, G- in John 16, Jesus is talking as He's getting ready to leave earth, go back to heaven. And He says to the disciples, I know you're sad because I've told you I'm going away, but I, I tell you, I promise you, it is for your advantage that I'm leaving. Because only if I leave is it going to be possible for the third part of God, the Spirit, to come and dwell in you. And when that verse really hit me, that this Jesus who I adore and trust, who has perfect wisdom, he says, it's for your advantage to have the Spirit, not me. And I, in a heartbeat, would say, Jesus, I'd take you. I mean, that's just where, that's my heart. Jesus, if I could have you here. And he says, but in my all-knowing wisdom, I'm telling you, it's better now for you to have the Spirit than me. That's why I'm going back to heaven. So that's who we're talking about here. This this Spirit of God, that if we're a believer, He is in us, whether we know it or not, whether we recognize it or not, whether we sense it or hear it or, or feel His leading or any of that, He's there. God's Word says so. That's why in... Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, in the middle of this section, Paul says, now about spiritual things, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, I realize probably if you're reading a Bible in front of you, it probably says spiritual gifts. But I'd like to challenge that and because what Paul uses there, he literally just uses spiritual stuff, spiritual things. It's not just the gifts, it's all of that. It's the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit works. And yes, the gifts and how they work. But Paul says, you guys are struggling in Corinth. And, and, and you're divided and you're, you're fighting with each other and you're comparing each other and the gifts are out of control. It's because you don't understand the Holy Spirit and how He works. And you don't understand how to use your spiritual gifts correctly. And he says, I'm writing this to you because I don't want you to remain ignorant about spiritual things and how the Spirit works. It's too important for you, and it's too important for the church. And so that naturally bleeds over into the other topic of these chapters, and that is spiritual gifts. And when we talk about spiritual gifts What we're talking about is those things which the Spirit enables us to do in some special, good, um, exceptional way. It may be talents talents or abilities we already have, and the Spirit adds to them. It may be that the Spirit enables us to do something we didn't do before. We all want this nice, neat list of gifts. But interestingly enough, God doesn't give us that. There are three primary books in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts right here in 1 Corinthians and in Romans and in Ephesians. But there's different lists in each one. I believe that's by God's design. If you put them all together and there's one or two maybe referenced in the Old Testament and one or two maybe elsewhere, 
you probably come up with around 25 different gifts that we find mentioned. But you see, the easiest explanation when I say I don't believe there should be a definite list, I'm going to go back to this. Now, you know Legos make all kinds of kits. If I'm going to build whatever this is, a palace, a grand hotel, I need certain Legos. But if I'm going to build a Star Wars Stormtrooper battleship, I need some different Legos. Well, you know what? The Spirit comes to Andover Christian Church in Minnesota in 2019, and he says, I need these Legos. But if he's working in Liberia, he says, I need these Legos. And if I'm working in, in South Minneapolis in the inner city, I need these Legos. And the Spirit says, I know what's needed here, and I've got a design, and that's the gifts that I'm going to give. And that's the people that I'm going to call. The astounding, amazing good news about this, the Bible tells us that every one of us is given gifts if we have the Spirit. Every one of us. They're all different. And they're like that Lego set. They're all very different on purpose. And they're all needed. And I realize some of you are sitting there today saying, me, get a spiritual gift? No way. Well, either you're right or the Bible's right, and I'm going with the Bible. And the Bible says, guess what? You may not know it. You may not realize it. It may scare you. You don't need to be scared. But if the Spirit's there, He has something He wants to do through you. I'll call it a spiritual gift. A way He wants to use you. And if you're using that gift, it's not scary. It's like, wow, that was amazing. Or you love to do something and the others look at you doing and say, oh my gosh, how do you do that? And you say, I don't know, it's just, it's just easy for me. It's because it's a gift. And the Spirit is helping you do that. Let's read a passage 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the, the long list of gifts in this section from Paul. Now, to each one, here's part of why I say everybody has a gift. Start in verse 7, 12, 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages, and to still another the interpretation of tongues or languages. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. You see, that's why I held up that Lego box. And that was what Paul wanted them to see. Is that gifts are part of the Spirit's plan. The Spirit has a plan for every community of believers. Every congregation. 
and it's to be the Spirit who is leading, giving the gifts, organizing what should be done, how it should be done, all of that. God wants to drive that through the part of God Himself who is here living in us. But the gifts are given for the congregation's good. And that's what Corinth had lost sight of. The gifts are intended like that Lego project to fit together, to add to what the others are doing, and to create this wonderful, complete structure that can do exactly what God wants done in that community, inside the church and outside the church. And every one of us is included. All of us. So what was wrong at Corinth? Well, one, the obvious thing we've been talking about, and they were not allowing the Spirit to be in control and direct. They were seeing some gifts as more important. And this is something we have to fight in our churches today. Please hear this. Because what they were doing is they were saying those gifts which were sort of more public, more upfront were viewed as more important. If you spoke in tongues or if you had prophecy, you did that up in front of the church and wow, you're spiritual. And the Corinth was buying into that and saying, oh, look at me. I have this gift. I have that gift. And they'd say, oh, you only have that gift? Oh, sorry. And there was comparing going on and saying that some gifts are more important than others. And in our entertainment culture, Please hear that is something we must always fight against. Because it's natural that a church falls into that, those people that are up front, that guy who speaks, that guy who leads worship, that Bible teacher that's so great. Well, they're, they're really spiritual or they're really important, and that's not true. They're a gift. But the people who come every Sunday and faithfully fulfill that, fill that communion tray that passed and you never thought about and stay here afterwards and clean it all up, they are just as important to this congregation, just as important to what God wants to do here. The people who make sure the money is counted and the electricity was paid so we have light and heat today, they're just as important. The people taking care of the babies in the nursery or teaching the five-year-olds about Jesus right now are just as important. The adults who probably didn't get a lot of sleep last night on a teen retreat are just as important. And Paul says that's the Spirit's structure. That's the Spirit's plan. And if we get into any of that comparing and valuing of certain gifts above others, we've lost sight of the plan. You see, that was happening because they had missed the greatest point that Paul kept trying to say. It's not just that the Spirit is organizing all this, but the Spirit is giving you these gifts for the good of the church, not the good of yourself. And this was part of the religions of those days. It's, it's understandable while the Corinthians fell into it. But they were in the trap of saying, those spiritual gifts are about me. Look what I can do. Look what I've got. Look how spiritual I am. And as soon as they started saying, this gift is about me, they had lost the whole point of the gifts. The gifts were given for ministry to serve others and build up the body. 
to contribute to the church and what God is trying to do in the church. In chapter 14, verse 26, Paul says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. He's describing the chaos in the service. And then notice what he says at the end of verse 26. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. These gifts are to be used for the strengthening, the learning, the encouragement, the help of the other believers around you. That's why you have them. He, ends, he adds down in verse 33, For God is not a God of disorder, but God of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. What Paul's saying there is, look at the chaos in your service. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Just look at the other churches. We serve a God of order, a God who has a plan. And we need to be listening to that plan and cooperating with that plan not off doing our own thing. So Paul gives them some directions to let that spirit be in control, to look for what he wants, how he wants us to fit together, work together, what he's trying to do here. In chapter 14, I want to read 29 through 32. Two or three prophets should speak. And the others should weigh carefully what is said, in parentheses, and be quiet. Let a couple speak, listen, and evaluate what they're saying. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. They were apparently just, everybody was talking at the same time whenever they wanted to. And he says, don't do that. If God has something to say, shut up and listen. Let this one talk. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Now I know this is my two sermons that are causing the gray hair. Last week I tackled women in the church, which was for me harder by far. But, and if you're not aware of this, speaking in tongues, prophecy, this type of thing is very controversial. Um, in the 50s and 60s, it split denominations, it split whole, whole, whole churches. They were very controversial. I, I want to give you a little background so that you understand what was going on in Corinth because it's different than today. We cannot experience what was going on in Corinth. And here's why. The Corinthian church, we know, was started by Paul himself. He stayed there, I think we said, a year and a half, teaching this church, and then he's gone. Now, I don't want you to literally do this, but you're left now. Paul is gone. you got some other leaders that he appointed, probably none of which ever saw Jesus himself. Your one eyewitness to Jesus is gone. Now, you have to tear your New Testament out of your Bible and throw it away. It hasn't been written yet. So now, what do we do? What's right? What's wrong? How should a church act? How should we be structured? What does God want to do when this situation comes up in Corinth? 
the church had to have guidance from God without the Bible. I mean, they had the Old Testament. And that is the primary reason God was using gifts of prophecy and tongues to speak into situations where they had no guidance from God. And Paul was not a quick Facebook conversation away. You had to have direction. And God knew that. And so God was giving a lot of these kinds of gifts to give direction. Now we have something they don't have, didn't have. All of those letters that make up our New Testament were written down and copied and shared among the churches. And we now have four biographies of Jesus and what He said and what He taught. And we have all these letters with practical direction for churches that Paul and Peter and John wrote. Now we get into my opinion. It seems like God needs to give some of these miraculous gifts less often because of what we have they did not have. But be that as it may, the issue is God is doing this and directing this for very real purposes. And it's not about anybody's ego or about, look how spiritual I am. It is for ministry to build up the church and to help the church do God's work. And that's what Paul wanted them to understand. And why their services needed to have order and purpose. Uh, we don't have time to read it today. But he says in these chapters that, think about this. You need to understand that people are going to walk in off the street and be visiting your services, and in such chaos, they don't even understand what's going on or what's being said. How can that help them? And you need to focus on those kinds of gifts that allow everyone to understand and everyone to know what's being said so that God can be glorified. And he really challenged all of these people who were using their gifts for themselves. And he challenges them that any gifts are more important than others. Because he said, in fact, some of the more private gifts, the less visible gifts, the gifts that maybe nobody sees, are actually some of the most important gifts. So don't do any comparing of one gift being more important than another. It's in the middle of all of this, and this is what we so often miss when we pluck out 1 Corinthians 13 for a wedding sermon. And, and I do that. I, I confess, I do that. But I want to put the love chapter back in context. Now listen to the beginning of chapter 13 in what we've been discussing today and the controversy of the gifts and the divisiveness of it. And you're going to see all these gifts pop out of this chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and I have all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 
Look at all the gifts that Paul lists in those first few verses. And he says, if you have those gifts, but they are not being directed and guided by agape love, that is love for what is best for you, not me, what is best for the church, not me, if that kind of love is not guiding your use of your gifts, you are wasting your time and that gift is wasted. You need to use that gift for the good of the body as the Spirit directs and the Spirit will direct in an orderly way because He is not a God of disorder and chaos. He is a God of peace and order. To me, there are three lessons that we need to, maybe four, I'm winging it here, so I'm... One, we shouldn't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is right. And if He's right, then it is to our advantage somehow that we have that Spirit in us and we learn to listen and trust that Spirit. The second lesson is that all of us are gifted. If we're believers in Christ, God has given us, the Spirit has given us gifts. And we need to think about what is that to explore that. And it's not necessarily that a light from heaven is going to beam down on you and blind you and say, your gift is... I, I, I would love that. We all would like that. But it seems like, and I won't, my wife's glaring at me. I don't want to say that can't happen. But it seems like in general, the Spirit begins to show, how about this? And we're drawn to something, or we're not terrified by something, and we try something, and it works, and we do some more, and we... we polish that gift and, and we build that gift and it grows and we suddenly realize, you know, I think this is one of my gifts. But it begins with being, A, open that I have a gift, you have a gift, and then B, let's try and explore that, what it might be. Let's put our toe in the water and try a little bit. And if it is this, a gift the Spirit wants you to have, He'll confirm that and let it grow. And I understand that can be scary. And I or somebody walks up and says, hey, how about try this? And your knee-jerk reaction? No. But sometimes, it actually is a blessing. It actually is a blessing. I, I got a note this week. I don't have her permission, so I won't use her name. But I got a note from a lady in this church that I had recruited to do something. A, I didn't think she'd ever do it. She said Yes. And then she said, I need to talk to you after she'd done this ministry. And I thought, oh, great, she's going to quit. Because it was a tough ministry. And she said, thank you so much. You stretched me out of my comfort zone, and God blessed me so much doing that. And when I heard that, I thought, that's the Spirit. That's how the Spirit wants to work. And yes, sometimes it will scare us, and we've got to put on our seatbelt and say, God, you want me to do that? But that's how the Spirit works. I've seen that people going on mission trips, people becoming youth sponsors, people working at Family Promise. I've seen that again and again and again where people say, oh my gosh, really? You want me to work with preschoolers? Really? But they do. And they end up saying, wow, that was cool. I'm so glad I did that. And the Spirit confirms that gift. And obviously another lesson is don't ever 
let Satan whisper in your ear, yeah, you're really good at that, and build pride. Your gift is a gift from the Holy Spirit, not you. Always give Him the credit, give God the credit, and just say, God, I'm just thankful you can use me. And Satan will, if your gift is, is flourishes, people will praise you, and Satan will be on your shoulder whispering in your ear, yeah, you are great. And history is full of a boatload of famous preachers who listened to that for too long. And their ministries crashed because pride took over. We always give God the credit for our gifts. And we use them to serve others, not to build ourselves. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit has the most phenomenal building plans for every congregation, including this congregation. We don't know what they are. The Spirit just starts to oh, put that Lego there. And sometimes He says, out here in the middle of nowhere, now I need three Legos. Just trust me. Put the three Legos there. I'll show you. And then He shows us some more. And it starts to rise, and we say, oh, God, you are awesome. It's by letting him direct and saying yes when he comes to us and says, I need you over here. That would be my challenge for you. Are you willing to say that to God if he says, I need you over here with the gift I've given you, even though you may not know you have it? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your plan, for your spirit, that you would live in us in this church, that you would give us abilities and gifts, and that you have a plan of what you want to build here. Forgive us in our pride, forgive us in our misunderstandings, our controversies, and we lose sight of what you're trying to do. Help us see clearly and help us to be available, to cooperate when you tap us on the shoulder and say, I need you over here. Even though we're scared, help us trust you and say yes. In your son's name, amen.